This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. If you'll work with me today and open your Bibles, I, I want to teach you. You know, uh, many churches, uh, especially Pentecostal churches, don't teach much doctrine. Uh, most of the Pentecostal churches I hear, they teach about be blessed and you know how to you know, live the best life now, and, and that's all good stuff. I'm not, I'm not decrying that, but uh, Jesus uh, warned us, and and so did the apostles. They said you must teach sound doctrine. And doctrine simply means teaching. You must have good teaching, and it has to be biblical. And uh, just piecing a few scriptures together to bless people isn't, bibli- isn't biblical teaching. And so today I want to take you on a journey, and I'm going to ask you to take notes because you're going to not only be required to study this for yourselves, but to help others to study this as well. So open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the title of my message is Sanctification. Sanctification. So sanctification and walking in the Spirit. Now, they changed my, my screens from the first service. I guess they didn't like the, the red. I, I had blood red, and I think we changed to uh, holy blue. Amen. So uh, <clears throat> let's just read this scripture together. It says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. So here the Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church. He says, we instructed you how to live in a manner that would please God. And that's how you're living. Then he goes on, he says, but now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I skipped a verse here. And it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject Pastor Tom. Therefore, who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but rejects God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. This kind of reminds me of a story. Uh, that I heard when I was in Bible school. It's uh, the story about a man who once uh, brought home a tree and he placed it in his backyard and, and it was during the winter time and you know nothing marked this tree for me being any different than any other. And, and when the springtime came, the leaves grew on this tree and it budded with these pink buds. The whole tree was covered in pink buds. And the man thought, wow, how wonderful. I have a flowering tree. Uh, and, and so I'll have a flower tree that I'll enjoy all summer. Well, it wasn't long, and the winds began to blow, and these little leaves began to, the, the, the flowers began to uh, uh, be blown around in the yard and fall off the tree, and it was a mess. And so now he's spending weeks just sweeping up and, and, and raking these petals off his lawn, 
And uh, the next thing the man noticed, that it was full of these green kind of uh, nuts, uh, fruit that was about the size of a nut, a little green nut. And so he thought, wow, fruit, it's bearing fruit. So he, he took one of those nuts and he took a bite of it and he thought, oh, such a bitter and terrible taste. And he throws it to the ground and he says, what a horrible taste. This tree is worthless. Here it has flowers that are so fragile that when the wind blows, it just blows them away. And its fruit is so terrible, it's so bitter. He says, when winter comes, I'm going to cut this tree down. But, you know, the tree took no notice of this man and continued to draw water from the ground and warmth from the sun. And it began to continue to produce something. And by late fall, this tree had produced a whole tree load of crisp red apples. Now, what does that have to do with sanctification? Some of us see Christians with their early blossoms of happiness, and we think that they should live that way forever. How many of you remember when you were first born again? You know, everything was just, whew, everything was wonderful. Do you remember those days? I mean, your prayers got answered. Everything happened. Just, it was just, whew, and it was just bubbling. And, uh, you know, I, this is great. that doesn't last. Others of us, we see believers in the bitterness of their lives. And we wonder if they were even saved. Have you ever seen a Christian that you just worry about? You think, hmm, they started so well. Look at them today. You know, life happens to all of us. Many people don't deal well with life. Many people don't respond righteously in life. Sometimes we make these judgments. We say, well, I'm sure that that person will never bear the fruit of joy in their life. But can we at least admit that sometimes we get it wrong and we forget that some of the best fruit ripens late? I love the scripture that we're speaking about today because it clearly tells us what God's will is. We don't have to guess. I love the fact that God never makes us wonder. We don't have to read between the lines. The scripture comes out boldly and clearly and says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you be sanctified. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and just say that. It's God's will that you be sanctified. Just turn to another neighbor and kind of point your hand at them and say, it's God's will that you be sanctified. Now take that same hand and put it in your heart and say, it's God's will that I be sanctified. Do you believe that? Well, God says it, so it's hard to defeat and fight that. So what does it mean to be sanctified? That's a good question. Or how does sanctification take place in our lives? Or how do we experience sanctification. Well, I think the good place to start is a dictionary definition. And in the, word in the, uh, the word sanctify in, in, the dif, in the dictionary literally means to set apart for a special use or purpose, set apart. Or figuratively, it means to make holy or to make sacred. And then if you do an etymological study of that word, it's actually from a Latin word 
which is sanctificare, sanctificare. And we get the word sanctus and the word holy. And the word sanctus means holy, or the word sanctus and ficare. Sanctus means to be holy, and ficare means to make. So the idea is to make something holy is to sanctify it or to set it apart for a purpose, to set it apart for God, to set it apart for, in, in this case, God's purposes. You know, when I was studying this, I, I realized that uh, many people don't understand that God has a purpose for their lives. And many people don't understand that in order to be used by God, you have to be set apart. You have to be made holy. You have to be cleansed. You have to be made into something for God to use you. As I started studying this, I thought, well, who, who would know more about holiness than the Nazarenes? They were called the holiness movement. So I, I went and looked at their, the Nazarene manual. It's, uh, they have a, their bylaws. And, and just like we have our own bylaws in the church, we have our own uh, statement of faith. I think it's good that you study it. And, and one of our statements of faith is around sanctification. And, uh, but they have a statement or a section called entire sanctification. Now, I don't hold to this doctrine entirely in the way that they describe it, because I believe that they believe in an act of sanctification where we believe in a process of sanctification. And, uh, but nonetheless, what they're saying is very, very good. So I'd like to read it to you. It says, we believe that entire sanctification is, the act, is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion to God and holy obedience of love made perfect. It is wrought by the baptism with the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience the cleansing of the heart from sin and the abiding indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering the believer for life and for service. Entire sanctification is provided by the blood of Jesus, is wrought instantaneously by faith, preceded by entire consecration, and to this work, the state of grace, the Holy Spirit bears witness. This experience is also known by various terms represented in different phases, phrases, such as Christian perfection, perfect love, heart purity, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the blessing, and Christian holiness. Now, although they believe this is a one-time act that takes place in our lives, we have come to understand and we come to know that we are able to give our lives to Jesus. We're born again. Now, walking an aisle doesn't mean necessarily that you're born again. Many people come and they make a decision at an altar and they say, well, I want to give my life to Christ, but they never give their lives to Christ. So just because you came to an altar doesn't mean you gave your life to Christ. What the Bible teaches is that we make a move towards God. The grace is sufficient for us that God will meet you, but that he requires something of you. His work of grace is to save us. And I'll get to this in a moment. Our act of faith is to consecrate our lives and to let sanctification work in our lives so that we become Christ-like. Does that make sense? And Christ-likeness is the sign of Christianity, not a call at an altar. The second thing they say is this. It says, we believe there is a marked distinction between a pure heart and a mature character. The former is obtained in an instant. 
the result of entire sanctification. The latter is a result of the growth in grace. We believe that the grace of entire sanctification includes the impulse to grow in grace. See, when you get born again, there should be an impulse. There should be something on the inside of you that says, I want to grow. I want to grow and become like Christ. I want to be, and, and many people seem to either resist that or have never had that. If you don't have a desire to become like Christ, if you don't have a desire to live a holy life, I question your salvation. It says, we believe that the grace of entire sanctification includes the impulse to grow in grace. However, this impulse must be consciously nurtured and careful attention given to the requisites and processes of spiritual development and improvement in Christ-likeness of character and of personality. Without such purposeful endeavor, one's witness may be impaired and the grace itself frustrated and ultimately lost. Now what made me really think about this was my own brother. Now I love him dearly. And I know he had an encounter with Christ at a young age. But whether he continued to walk in that, nurture it, and he had good character in many ways. But you know that there can be a bitterness that creeps into your heart, an unforgiveness. There can be something that can lead you off of the path of Christ-likeness. And the Bible speaks of failing of the grace of God, falling from the grace of God, frustrating the grace of God. And I'm thinking, well, those are dangerous words to me. I often read the Apostle Paul, and I see a section in there where he himself laments his own life. He says, I hope that after I have preached to others, I myself am not a castaway. I think of myself, I'm thinking, here I am. I, 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 every Sunday I get up and I preach, and, I, and, and yet I see my own weakness. I see myself as a man. I, I've made many mistakes as a pastor. I've done many things that I, I, I wish I had uh, done differently. But I'm hoping that I'm still responding and growing in grace, that I'm becoming the man of God that he wants me to be. You know, I, I used to joke a lot, and I, I tease a little bit. I say, you know, the early messages that I put on cassette tapes, we sold them for $5. It wasn't to make a profit. It was just to pay for the cost of them. But today I'm buying those back for $20 just to get the air off the market. You see, we've moved in our understanding. We've moved in the grace of God. We've matured. And I'm not saying we did that. But what I'm saying is sometimes I think of the way I used to preach when I was a young man. And I'm thinking, eee, it's a wonder God could use me. You know, but my understanding was narrower, it was smaller, it was more limited than it is today. Now, after 44 years or 50-some years of ministry, you, you would think that I'd be a little bit more mature. That was a good chance to say at least amen or, or, or oh my. <laughs> so uh, the first thing that we need to understand about sanctification is that it is for believers. It is after we are saved. It's subsequent to us being born again or as the Nazarene manual says, after regeneration. But in this passage, in the book of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a people who were living a life. They were already living a life pleasing to God. But he urges them to do this more and more. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, he says, we 
instructed you how to live in order to please God. And in fact, you are living that way. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Now, what, what an exhortation for 2022. What a great way for us to start this year and say, listen, I, I, I trust that many of you and hopefully most of you are living in a way that's pleasing to God. But now I'm asking you to do this more and more. So what is this more and more? Well, sanctification is for the Christian who's not trying to just get by spiritually. But for the Christian who wants to please God in every way and be all that he can be for God. You see, sanctification is a provision of God's renewing work in salvation that is joined to our obedience. It's important that you're obedient. I've seen many here in the church. They started out with a, a real born-again experience. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things destroyed them. There are many that have... Our church has, in, in, in many ways, especially in the business community, many of you have terrible, terrible, terrible reputations for doing business the Babylonian way, corrupting yourselves. And yet you call yourself a Christian. You're not living a sanctified life. You're just, oh, you're just living like everybody else. But you do it in the name of the church and you do it in the name of Jesus. I was talking earlier this morning about a businessman here in town. He, he's been in every church. In the, he's, he, he darkened the doors of our church for a while. And, and, and everywhere, if he, everywhere he goes, if you talk to him, he, he, he has all the Christian jargon. I think he has bumper stickers on his car. He even puts scriptures on his Facebook page. But he's a crook. He's a thief. He's, he, he's, as, he's as corrupt as any man I know. And everybody knows he's corrupt. He's no representative of Christ. He's not Christ-like in his business. He's not Christ-like in his life. If I named his name, you'd all know who he was. He's in the paper half the time. But that's not Christianity. And that's not sanctified living. So that we change the way we live. So we don't pursue sin, but we pursue righteousness. You see, we, we don't find the word sanctification in Paul's letter to the Galatians. But boy, I'll tell you what, when I read this letter, the fifth chapter in particular, the second half of the, the first letter, the process of sanctification is revealed perfectly. And, and I'd like to read it to you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. In Galatians 5, verses 16 through 20, the Bible says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll never fulfill the desires for the flesh. For what the flesh wants is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit wants is opposed to the flesh. They're opposite to each other. And so you do not do what you want to do, but if you are being led of the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Now, the actions of the flesh are obvious. So this is a checklist for you. The, the, the actions of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Number sexual immorality is in this church, in every church. Impurity. All I have to do is look at some of your Facebook pages and I know that you have impure. Well, look at the way you, you, I mean, I wouldn't show my body the way some of you women do. What are you flaunting? Impure. You're, you're creating impurity. You're not sanctified. Promiscuity. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Ancestral worship. 
hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of anger, quarrels, conflicts, factions, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild partying, and things like that. I'm telling you now, as I've told you in the past, that people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. Now those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus, have crucified their flesh those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus, have crucified their flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit let us also be guided. Let's stop being arrogant, provoking one another, and envying one another. There's the picture of sanctification right there. You see, one of the Holy Spirit's functions in the believer's life is to cultivate Christian character, to transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ, to convict us of righteousness, of sin, of judgment. This is sanctification. So, as I close, there's, 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 there's five things that we need to know about sanctification. Sanctification, number one, is the work of God. It's the work of God in our lives. The first thing we have to understand is that the work of Christ on the cross is the beginning place of sanctification. It's God's work. Without Christ, there is no sanctification. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, By God's will we have been sanctified once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Well, I'll tell you, Jesus died on the cross to sanctify you. The second thing is the work of God's Spirit in us. So we have Jesus, what he did, then the work of the Spirit in us. And Paul highlighted the Holy Spirit's role with repetition of a phrase. It says in Galatians three times, by the Spirit. You know, that, that we do this by, by the Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit. Letting the Spirit have its way. He used that same phrase, or a phrase called sanctified by the Spirit in the book of Romans. Romans 15, 16. Write that down. Romans 15, 16. Because when you teach somebody else, you need to know that, hey, you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 13, he says, it is by the Spirit that we're able to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of our body. See, you have to understand something. When you got born again, when you are born again, there's a part that God plays, but then there's a part that you must play. The second thing we need to know about sanctification is that sanctification involves our cooperation. We're commanded in Galatians 5.6 to walk, 5.16, to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5.25, we're commanded to live by the Spirit. Then it says to keep in step with the Spirit. So this is an abiding. This is a walking with God. 
Whereas justification is entirely God's responsibility and God's work, sanctification involves our cooperation with God. See, when God justifies you just as if you'd never sinned, it's his work. You are saved by grace through faith. It's the free gift of God. It's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. But you're sanctified by taking up your cross, crucifying your flesh, by obeying him and yielding and following and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. See, Christ has delivered us from sin's reign. But the responsibility for resisting sin is our responsibility. God has given us his spirit, but the responsibility for walking by the spirit is our responsibility. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, pursue peace with everyone as well as holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace. We like that part because the whole world talks about peace now. Peace, peace. We just want peace at all costs. Uh, pursue peace. But what about and holiness? Without which no man will see the Lord. You can't see God unless you're holy. For God is holy and we have to be holy. That means set apart. Doesn't mean perfect. Don't get that idea because none of you are perfect yet. None of us are perfect. But set apart. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let's cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates spirit and body by becoming mature in our holy fear of God. See, it's about growing up, about maturing. Number three, sanctification is an ongoing process. Now, this, this is important because some people, you know, in certain churches, they say, well, I'm sanctified. No, you're being sanctified, and, you're, and you'll continue to be sanctified. See, justification is once, and, it's, and you can never change justification, but sanctification is a continuous process whereby we grow in our holiness. In fact, the Greek verb that's translated walk by the Spirit, walk, in verse 16, is the Greek word or verb peripateo. Peripateo. It's a Greek verb. And what it means is to go about or to walk around. It's, it's the same word that Jesus used when he told the paralytic in the book of Mark, chapter 2 and verse 9, to get up off his mat and to walk. See, this word walk can also be used to mean a certain walk or a certain conduct. See, you have to understand. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say why that's so important. When Jesus came and healed the paralytic, that was Jesus' part. You're healed. But then there was a response that he had to have. Get up and walk. See, in your life, you're saved. Now get up and walk like you're saved. Now you have to do your part. God does his part. He saves you. Now you have to walk in your salvation. Does that make sense? So that's what, that's what sanctification is. It's the walk of Christ, the walk of salvation. The walk reminds us that sanctification doesn't just roll effortlessly. It's not like getting in a Tesla and driving, it driving you somewhere. No, it's a walk. It's, you have to put one step in front of the other, and you have to walk in a certain way, in a certain direction. You must take responsibility. It tricks is a better way of saying it. it it's, it's resolute. It has an arduous path. It steadily progresses 
towards the goal. Never arriving, though, until we see him as he is. Well, in John 3, 2, it says, until we see him as he is. So, but we're, that's where we're heading. We're going to be like him. The fourth thing is the goal and the measure of sanctification is Christ-likeness. You know, one, one of the values we have as the men's movement, the Be That Man movement, is that uh, we, we, we say this, it says that being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice, and that the Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous. So our goal is to be Christ-like. That's, that's, that's the whole purpose. And you know, God's purpose in our sanctification is to transform us more into the likeness or more into the character of Christ. Romans 8, 29 says it this way. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. God, God had a plan for you. He foreknew you. He predestined you to be conformed, to be transformed, to be changed into the image of Jesus. That's the whole purpose. So I want to encourage you today. It's important that you refuse to be seduced into defining spirituality by some means of some kind of religious schedule or religious activity. Uh, I call it sanctification by checklist. As I grew up as a Catholic, uh, we had a checklist. You know, there's things I had to do to be holy, to be sanctified, to, 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 to go to heaven, to, to be, you know, uh, uh, to, 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 to earn God's work. I had to do novenas. I had to, to, I had to do, uh, I had to serve as an altar boy. I had to do, every Friday we did confession. We had to have communion on Sunday. You know, we had to confess our sins. We have to light a candle to, to pray to Mary to make sure that she's praying and interceding for us. And we did all kinds of things. I had a whole checklist and boy, I was diligent. I was a really good Catholic. But those checklists, and, and the Protestants aren't any better. I mean, they have Sunday school attendance that you get ticked off on. If you didn't attend, oh, you're in trouble. If you, if you, did you bring your Bible? Oh, you get a tick for that. Sunday lesson studied, you get a check for that. Your lesson studied. Your giving, did you give, okay, once you have your giving envelope, okay, that's ticked off. Your worship attendance, your daily reading, your number of visits that you, that you did, the number of contacts you've made with others. There's all these works, and we think if we tick these off that somehow we're sanctified, we're holy. That's not true. We think if we check off these things on our list, we're good for another week. No, on the contrary, Christ-like character is the measuring stick of growth. Christ-like character proves whether we're sanctified or not, not what we do on the outside. The last thing, number five, is the primary instrument of sanctification is the Word of God. Jesus, in his prayer for his disciples, in John 17, 17 said this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When he said that, it teaches us that God sanctifies us by his word. The apostle Paul understood this. He understood that God's word trains us in righteousness so that we may be complete. Another word for complete is that we might be sanctified. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, you know this verse. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good action or every good work. See, we need to learn to drink deeply from the Scriptures, because from them 
God will transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. You know, I, I'm shocked at how the average usage of this is eight hours a day now. Eight hours a day. Boy, if you spent half that time just in the scriptures. But some of you are so weak in the scriptures that you have no power over sin. You have no power over lust. This thing feeds you full of lust. Feeds you full of anxiousness and worry. And it, it, this, this is death. But the word of God, and only the word of God can produce life. Only the Word of God will produce sanctification and, and, and holiness and, and cleanliness on the inside of you. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up what you have said in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Some of you don't have enough stored in you to even know what God says, so you have no way to, so you're sinning. You're sinning against God. Acts 20, verse 32 says, I am now entrusting to you, or, or, or I am now entrusting you to God and to the message of His grace which is able to build you up and to secure you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Well, what, 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 what gives you your inheritance among those who are sanctified? The message, the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies, thirst for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in your salvation. You may grow thereby. Remember what we said earlier? 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, it says, this is God's will, your sanctification. Come on, tell somebody that. Say, this is God's will, your sanctification. Tell somebody else, this is God's will, my sanctification. You know, C.S. Lewis is one of the great writers in the uh, body of Christ and you know, he, he wrote so many great things, but he told this story one time. He says, he says when I was a child, I often had a toothache and I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from my pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they would start fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth which had not yet begun to ache. Our Lord is like the dentists. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you asked, but if you once call him in, he will give you the full treatment. What a story, hey? You see, it's God's will. It is God's will that we're sanctified. First, we have to be saved. Secondly, we must be willing to surrender our will completely, entirely, and wholly to God. Our spirit needs to be as Jesus was in the garden when he prayed. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Another man, great evangelical, D.L. Moody, said this. He says, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfish ambition, selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, 
The Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. You see, for many of you and for many of us, sanctification is kind of a mysterious word. We know it is part of the work that God is doing in our lives and it involves being cleansed from sin. I like the illustration of sanctification that I've been thinking about lately because Bonnie and I, when we were in the States, we, we, we bought a, a, a really good used iron skillet. And, and I like the idea of the iron skillet because, you know, a lot of our modern-day skillets are covered with Teflon. And invariably, I don't know about you, but we, we have purchased many Teflon skillets and they end up being scratched by a fork or a knife or, and, and, and they just don't work. They, they stick and, they, and they're, besides that, they're, that Teflon is not good for your health. So being very health conscious, my wife uh, began cooking with a cast iron skillet. And uh, this skillet was blackened from all of its use and it was well seasoned. In fact, it was nearly impossible for food to stick to it. It was an amazing skillet. Uh, so we had been instructed by our grandparents and by our parents who grew up using cast iron cookware, and, and we discovered that there's a special secret to using cast iron, good cast iron stoneware, or, or cast, cast iron uh, skillets. Uh, a properly broken-in skillet has to continually be prepared for the next occasion that it'll be used. As soon as the meal is cooked, the skillet must be allowed to cool and then cleansed and cleaned. You have to clean it. And you have to clean it completely. Then once it's been cleaned, it's to be put back into the oven to be heated completely. And then once it's taken from the oven, it's wiped down with oil, the handle inside and out, to preserve it. It's ready for the next meal then. This is a picture to me of sanctification. First, God must cleanse us from our sins. Then he heats us up in the crucible of experience. None of us like that. And finally he anoints us with his Holy Spirit until we're finally prepared to serve him again. Sanctification for God's service. The process is that God first breaks our will. Then he purifies and cleanses us. And then and only then is he able to fill us with himself. You see, until our wills are broken, he cannot use us as he desires. He cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as he wants to. This may explain why some Christians always seem to produce wrong fruit in their lives. God is not completely in control. Maybe occasionally he is, and maybe even most of the time. But we are not what God wants us to be until we are entirely surrendered to him. I didn't tell this in the first service, but uh, there's, there's an American broadcaster, a very famous guy. His name is Paul Harvey. And uh, he wrote an article some time ago in uh, a magazine called Guidepost Magazine about his baptism. And here's what he said. He said that even though he had received almost every reward for his broadcasting powers and his ability, he still felt empty inside. He says, well, one summer, he and his wife, while they were vacationing, 
in a place called Cave Creek, Arizona. Sunday morning came and they decided to go to church. So they went to this little church and there were about only 12 people present. But there was a good spirit about the place and for some reason he'd been thinking about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, I like that everlasting life part. And I believed in Jesus, but I'd never gone forward in a church service. I remembered one night praying in my hotel room and asking Jesus to come into my heart, but I felt that there was still something that was missing. He said, that preacher got up and he announced that his sermon was going to be about baptism. Paul Harvey said, I yawned. But as he started talking about it, I found myself interested. He talked about the symbolism behind it and how it symbolized the complete surrender of one's life to Jesus Christ. And how there was nothing really magic in the water, but there was this cleansing on the inside that took place when you yielded yourself to Christ. Finally, when he came to the end of the service, he said, if you have not been baptized in this way, I invite you to come forward and to join me here at the pulpit. Paul Harvey said, to my surprise, I found myself going forward. The preacher had said that there was nothing magical in the water, but something life-changing had happened. A cleansing inside, inside out. No longer did there seem to be two uncertain, contradictory Paul Harveys, just one immensely happy one. I felt the fulfilling surge of the Holy Spirit in my life. Paul Harvey went on. The change this simple act made in my life was so immense as to be indescribable. Since totally yielding to him in, all that, in, in, in that act of baptism, my heart can't stop singing. Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity gets as drenched as one's body, I discovered my new unselfconscious in talking of my beliefs. He closed with these words. The other evening when on a trip, I was flying over West Texas and I looked at the beautiful sunset. My heart swelled with joy in my new surrender. And I thought, how wonderful. We have all of this and heaven as well. You know, I think of what this guy Paul Harvey experienced. And I think what he experienced was kind of the beginning thing of a consecration, of a, of a sanctification. He finally made a decision. I'm, I'm, I'm going to yield my life completely. And God met him. You see, consecrating and surrendering to the obedience of God is something we all have to do. For many who have made a decision to follow Jesus, you may sense that something is still missing. Maybe you made an altar call, but it, it's like you never really gave your heart. We will not have complete victory until we humble ourselves, body and soul, and we surrender completely to God. Uh, by the way, this doesn't mean that we're perfect. <laughs> None of us are perfect. But it is the start. But now, instead of your will competing with God's will, the battle's over and you've surrendered. The result is or the result of this act of sanctification is that your heart has a holiness towards it, a, a, a grace upon it. It begins a process of yielding constantly to the will of God. 
by the power of his Holy Spirit. Oh, you may make mistakes, and we all do. And you may do wrong occasionally. But you may, and you may say the wrong things at, at, at times. But your heart's intent is not evil. Your heart's intent is not to do evil. It's to do good. It's pure. It's set apart. It's holy. The last thing I'll say about sanctification <clears throat> is that it is always preceded by an entire consecration of our hearts and lives. In other words, we have to surrender every bit of our selfish will, of our past, our present, our future to God. We lay ourselves on the altar and we sacrifice everything to him. Allow him to crush your will. We crucify the old man of sin. Let him purify you, cleanse you. And as he does, a new you will emerge. A new you that is fully given to God. A new you that desires God's will in every area of your life. Obedience is no longer a problem. It's a joy. Producing the fruit of the Spirit isn't difficult. It's a natural result of the Spirit of God being in control. Your life will take on a new love, a new joy, a new peace. Something like you, that you've never imagined before. This is what God promises. Have you surrendered your life completely? That's the question today. Because if you haven't, today would be a good day to start. We're going to be coming to the close of our fasting just now. We're going to be entering into our prayer conference. This could be a day that you draw a line in the sand. This could be a day that you say, I want that. I'm going to yield my life. God will always meet faith. If you're online, you've been listening by television. First of all, I want to encourage you next week, be in church. We're glad that you're online, though. And if God's speaking to you, there's a number on the screen right now. You can go to that number. There's somebody on the other end of that line that'll talk to you. They'll help you to either pray or to get to a pastor or to get to some counseling or to help you. Maybe you just feel it, man, you don't know what I've done. I don't care how deep the problem is, how sad you are, how tough the issue is, or how messed up your life is. If God can get you to sanctify your life, consecrate yourself to him. He'll meet you and he'll turn you around. Call that number. Let somebody help you right now. Father, I pray for these online. I'm asking, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would help them, that you would guide them and direct them. Father, their need would be met today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.